You can be seated. And uh, kids, we have some bulletins for you to help you as you follow along. So if you didn't grab one on your way in, maybe you can sneak out and sneak back in and get one of those. But we are glad you're here. We're glad all of you are, are here. And we're going through Isaiah. And I brought a little something. So we have four children, two girls, two boys. And I'm so excited about this Christmas for some of the things that the girls and the boys are going to get. And I actually brought the present I'm most excited about giving to our two boys. So kids or girls, would you like to see it? Yes. You like to see what? I, do, do, do you want to come up and see what's in it? Yes. No? Yeah, I don't blame you. I wouldn't come up here. You don't want to? All right. So, all right, here is what is it. So this is, I'm so excited to give to the boys. And you see what's in here? <laughs> There's nothing. It is the box. I am so excited to give them the box. Do you think they'll appreciate it? No. I, they, actually, the boys really will appreciate it. See, you don't appreciate it because you need to think outside the box. <laughs> see, this box, this toy doesn't just confine you like a bicycle or a Batman cave would. This can be anything you want it to be. It can be a house. It can be a car. It can be a spaceship. It can be anything. Uh, actually, I'm just teasing. This is not what we're giving the boys, so don't tell them so they start crying. But uh, all of you parents kind of know the dynamic of Christmas where you spend so much time and energy and effort creating these presents, and at the end of the day, the kids end up playing with the box. And last week, we started looking at Isaiah chapter 9, and uh, we used the, the new Amazon. I don't know if you've seen the new Amazon catalog. And on the front of the Amazon catalog, it has these kids. It's filled with all the toys that you can buy from Amazon. And on the front of the catalog is actually kids playing with Amazon boxes. They're not playing with any of the toys. And what we wrestled with last week, are they just mocking us? Are they just mocking you parents saying, we know you're going to waste an obscene amount of money on these things. And at the end of the day, they're going to be playing with our boxes, not even your toys. And uh, one of the things we don't want you to experience this Christmas, because what Christmas is all about, it's all about God so loving the world that he gave his only begotten son. So if you believe in him, you won't perish, but you have life. So Christmas is a celebration of the most tremendous gift that's ever been given to anyone. But so often what we do is we end up thinking Christmas is all about, you know, the carols and the fake snow and the hot chocolate. And it's like we're just playing with the box and don't appreciate the actual present. And so last week and this week, we're looking at Isaiah chapter 9, and we're asking the Lord to help us. Help us understand what the real present is so we can understand it, receive it, and fully appreciate it. So we're looking in Isaiah chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles and want to follow along, but to really get a sense of the, the gift that is being offered, the promise. Isaiah chapter uh, 7 to 12 sets up a promise that's offered, and then the Christmas story is that the person comes as a response to the promise. But let's kind of get some historical background so you can kind of feel some of the, the tension and the drama in Isaiah chapters 7 through 12. So Isaiah 7 through 12 is one unit, one section. It's one kind of whole story. And uh, I'm really excited in the new year we're going to be moving in and to looking at the Gospel of Matthew and walking through the Gospel of Matthew. And if probably the, the most important section of Scripture to understand, if you're going to understand Jesus' ministry, what he came to do, is Isaiah 40 through 56. And then probably the most important 
Old Testament section to understand what we're supposed to do after Jesus has come to church is Isaiah you know, 56 through 66. But maybe one of the most important sections in Isaiah in the Old Testament to understand what he was promised to do or the promise of his coming is Isaiah 7 through 12. And Isaiah 7 through 12 sets up the promise, the hope, the expectation that uh, the, the virgin will conceive and Emmanuel will come. And then what is he going to do? But the, the setting that Isaiah 7 through 12 comes to the original Israelites is in the midst of an incredible season of international and political tension. So it comes when Isaiah, uh, Isaiah and then King Ahaz has come on the throne, and what's happening is Assyria is in the north, Egypt is in the south, and then all of these small countries like uh, Israel and, and then Judah, they've been separated, and then the uh, Syria, uh, they're, they're in the middle, and they're going to be squeezed in between the two. And everyone who's living is living uh, under the cloud of anxiety about what's going to happen to us. So it's very similar, like if you can think, what, what would it have been like to live in Florida in 1962 during the Cuban Missile Crisis, where everybody is looking on the horizon thinking at any moment you could see streaks across the horizon that's going to possibly bring our total destruction. Or you can think, what would it have been like to live in Poland in 1939, the months before Hitler's army invades? where you are looking at the horizon just wondering at any minute will you see the trees starting to sway with the Panzer army coming to destroy you. And you think about the tension and the anxiety you would live in. Well, that's where Israel was at this moment. Two great armies in between waiting. One of them is going to come. And God sends this incredible word to Ahaz, a word of promise. It says, in the midst of this incredible season of anxiety, don't worry. I will be your strength. I will be your shield. I will protect you. He tells them, don't try and play politics. Don't get in the middle of this. Don't try and join them. Don't try and join them. Don't worry about these things. You, in the midst of this season of anxiety, you trust me. And part of the tragedy of Isaiah 1 through 39 is they don't. They don't trust him. And so these promises are coming into a time like that deep time of crisis. And so you can imagine if we were living in a day like that, how hopeful a word like that would be. But you actually don't have to live in a, you know, you don't have to live through the Cuban Missile Crisis um, to know that you need a word of hope. The big question here is when God gives this word of promise, will they trust him? And I think one of the things just in general this means for us is, all right, in times of difficulty, Times of trial, times when our faith is being challenged, who do you trust? I think one of the challenges just in our current world is, you know, in, in the book of Isaiah, there was two great challenges, two great times of incredible crisis. This time and then at the end when Assyria does come in Isaiah uh, 36 through 39 in Hezekiah's reign, so about 40 years later. And it just makes me wonder, you know, we live in a world where everything is kind of drummed up as a crisis. So there's a crisis every single week. And it wonder, it makes, you, it makes you wonder, I hope we don't come numb to what real crises are. And that's what this is. This is in a time of very deep, deep crisis. All right, but so he's going to come and here, so that's the setting. The setting is in a time of in incredible tension and fear. And in that setting comes a word of hope and promise. Will you trust me? Will you hang on? All right, go ahead. Not quite yet, but. 
All right, you can take a look at Baby Yoda. Oh, you can go back and pull it up. All right, so actually before, uh, uh, cycle back, because when the king comes, ah, we'll leave that there. Ah, okay, yeah, never mind. Ah, you're just playing with me now, Graham. You're just playing with me. I said, the promise is that a king is going to come. And what we saw last week is when the king comes, this is what he's going to do. He's going to end the darkness. He's going to bring abundance and he's going to heal our brokenness. So he says, you're in the midst of an incredible time of difficulty. This is what he's going to do. He'll end the darkness, bring abundance, and he'll heal your brokenness. So hold on to hope. And then that's Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, 3, 4, and 5. That's what he's promised he's going to do. But then the next natural question is, all right, that's an incredible promise. How can we know? If you're, you're telling us to trust, but uh, kind of who are you? How, how can we know that we can trust you to hold us in this difficult time? And it's interesting that in verse 6, we're just going to look at verse 6 and 7 this morning. Verse 6 begins, how can you know? What, what can you look to to hold on to as your hope? And then it begins with a child being born. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It's kind of like, all right, no, we're in the middle of international turmoil. We don't need a child. We need tanks. We need might. We need economic um, uh, maneuverability. And it says, we're going to give you a child. And as I was thinking about it, you know how many stories, isn't it interesting how many stories kind of begin with like this mysterious child who somehow needs to be protected. And of course, here's a picture of the most recent story. Now you can bring it up. So that, if you haven't been keeping up, that's, uh, that's Baby Yoda, I guess, from, uh, no spoilers, from the, the Mandalorian. And what's interesting about the story is there's this, this cute little child that's shrouded in mystery, and somehow he needs to be protected. Who is he? And, you know, kind of one of the comical things is you heard all of the girls go, oh, uh, it's interesting, maybe Rob, Rob Young can give us some insight into this because uh, the person who directed and wrote The Mandalorian asked Disney not to do any merchandising uh, of Baby Yoda. And it's estimated there's probably between tens to up to $100 million that they've lost not having Baby Yoda toys because that would have been the hottest toy of Christmas. So if you're looking to buy a Baby Yoda toy, you won't be able to get it until May. And uh, wondering why. But isn't it interesting how many stories start out with this straight, this child is going to come needs to be protected. This is one. Now, what is this child going to do? So what, what I want you to see this morning is that there's three things that Isaiah 6 and uh, chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 lay out. They're going to tell us his qualifications. They're going to tell us the conditions he's going to bring when he comes, and then the characteristics of his reign. So how can we know we can trust him? <coughs> Or if you're going to use this gift, you have to understand it. So if you're going to trust him, what is he going to do when he comes? What are his qualifications? Look at the first um, qualifications in here. And what Isaiah is going to do is he's going to give us four names. So says, when this child comes, all right, we can go on to the next one. When this child comes, uh, here's four names. Now that doesn't look quite right, does it? <laughs> Sorry. 
So he's going to give four names, and the first two names give his qualifications, what he's going to do, and the second two names give the conditions he's going to bring. So here are the first name. The first name is when he comes on, the government will be upon his shoulders. So he's coming to rule. He's coming to reign. He's going to have a government, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God. So how can you know you can trust him? Because he will be a wonderful counselor, and he'll be the mighty God. He'll come with uh, wonder and wisdom, and he'll have strength and ability. And with each one of these names, it gives you a reason why you can trust him, and it also gives you a gift that he brings when he comes. So look at the first one. He's going to come. His qualifications. He is a wonderful counselor. When he comes, he's going to bring wisdom, and he's going to bring wonder. Do you realize this morning that the two greatest needs you have in your life is you need wonder to have your heart captured in a maze, you need wonder, and you need wisdom. You know, what are these things? Wisdom. Uh, you know, if you're, if you're not going to make a mess of your life, you need wisdom. One of the things the Bible talks about how wisdom is more important than gold, more important than talent, more important than riches, or um, it's more important than having your circumstances in a favorable condition, because those are going to change, but you need wisdom. And one of the things the Bible lays out is actually how you get it. There's kind of a three-step process to getting wisdom. You need first knowledge, which is just knowledge. You need facts. You need to know things. Then you need understanding. Understanding is how all the facts relate together. And then you need wisdom, which is the ability then to apply and live out your understanding. So wisdom is, is supreme. It's at the top. He comes bringing wisdom. That's not the only thing that you need. You need wonder. You need to have your heart and your mind and your imagination captured. This actually, the wonderful, is actually the path that God is going to use to transform your heart. You know, you'll always be true to the places where you've tasted wonder or seen beauty or experienced glory, or things that capture your imagination. And sometimes it's different for different people, and sometimes part of family dynamics and struggles is we don't understand the areas that have captured the imagination of another one of our family member's life. Kind of a funny way I like to think about this is, it, I mean, there's a reason, like, you know, maybe you, so some of you, you leave here and go out of this neighborhood and you'll drive by like Eagle Creek and it's cold and it's rainy and you will see these nut jobs who are out there playing golf in the middle of the cold, rainy weather. And you think, what is wrong with those people? Well, let me tell you what's wrong with those people. See what, if you think that, then you've never obviously hit a golf ball square and flush right in the center of the club face and seen it fly down the fairway in this nice, beautiful arc. You've never experienced the wonder. But if you had, you'd understand. Or maybe you'll, you know, there's uh, plenty of people who right now are scouring through the Mall of Millennia whenever it opens 40 minutes ago. And somebody gets their heart captured. And you might look and say, look, what is that thing? You spent how much on that? That's just cork and a strip of leather. That's not even a shoe. That won't protect you if like a crayon falls on your foot. What, what is that? And they just, they, they've never seen the wonder of how it beautifully completes the outfit or whatever. You know, you, we stay true to the things that we've tasted wonder. And actually, one way you can test your own heart about the things where you've tasted wonder is where do I spend my money the most effortlessly? Where it's like, this is, I'm not even spending money on this. 
Because it's something, it's a thing that you've tasted wonder. And one of the gifts that Christ brings is he doesn't just bring wisdom, he brings wonder and wants to capture your heart and your imagination. This actually is the only path for our children to stay true if they're going to stay true to the faith we try and transmit. So we have to find a way not just to teach them what it is, but to capture their heart with the wonder of who he is so they can experience the wonder. But when he comes, he brings that. So it's worth thinking about as you think about this upcoming year and you make your plans and start to craft your resolutions. Do I need more wisdom in my life so I can know certain things? Or do I need more wonder so I can have my heart captured? But that's not all he does. Notice he comes and he's the mighty God. And that means he comes with strength and ability. He doesn't just know what he should do. He's not just wise, but he also has the ability to accomplish it. He comes with both of those things. And if you think about your life, the two things you need in so many areas of life is you need to know what you should do, and then you need the power and the ability to actually do it. And he comes and he brings both of those. So how can you know you can trust him? You can trust him because he comes with wisdom and he comes with strength and power. And what does he give? He gives his word to inform you so you can know what you need to do. Then he gives his spirit to empower you. So you need to know uh, you have the ability to do it. So think about your own life, just in knowing different things you're going to be doing this year. Is there something where are you facing a situation in your life where you feel inadequate? And you feel like, I don't know what I should be doing. We all of a sudden have this child, and I hold it up. I have no, they didn't come with the owner's manual. What do I do with this? Or new job or new situation where you need wisdom. Well, go to him. That's one of his gifts he gives at Christmas. The gift of the son is wisdom. Or maybe you know the things you need to be doing. It's not so much information. It's just power. You need help to accomplish those. Well, go to him. That's why he poured out and gave you the gift of his spirit, so you can be empowered to do these things. So that's the qualifications he has. How can we know we can trust him? Because he has wisdom, he has power. But notice the conditions that he brings in the next one, the conditions that he brings when he comes. He is the everlasting father and the prince of peace. So he comes as the everlasting father. He creates these conditions. And the the everlasting father, that name highlights that when he comes, he's going to bring stability and structure. Structure and stability. Security. And then he's the prince of peace. He'll bring healing and wholeness. He's the everlasting father. One thing I never really thought about, often, you know, we think of father, we naturally think of family. And, uh, but it's interesting, in the ancient world, fatherhood had a larger conception than just, like, the man who sits in the recliner and controls the remote. That's not the biblical conception of fatherhood. That actually shouldn't be anybody's conception of fatherhood. And so your father kind of just, it wasn't just your dad. You also, your father was also who you apprenticed under. He was also your boss. So you would work under your father and it was his responsibility not only to protect you and provide for you, but it was his responsibility to prepare you to take over the family trade. And so you can see this dynamic. Actually, when you think of fatherhood, a good connection is how we actually think of discipleship. Your father was the one you followed. And that's actually the theme of John. This really struck me when we were going through John about how Jesus says, I'm following the father, now you follow me. 
So I'm following him, you follow me. And then Paul says, I'm following Christ, you follow me. So it actually becomes, discipleship becomes like this long Christian Congo line where we're following, Jesus is following the Father, the apostles are following Jesus, we're trying to follow them. But it's discipleship to prepare you to follow. So the, the Father, when he says he's coming as everlasting Father, he's actually going to give you direction and discipline. He's going to give you direction for your life, discipline for how to work your life. And that's one of the great gifts that the Word is. One of the gifts that the Father gave His people to the Israelites was the gift of the law, Torah. This is fatherly instruction for how you should live so you can live well. But notice what it's connected to. It's not just discipline or instruction. It's, it's family connection, but it's also everlasting. Because what that means is stability. He comes, and there's a deeply secure attachment. It's not just discipline and instruction, but a stability. It's an everlasting relationship, a relationship that can't be bought. And if one of the interesting things about kind of the uh, uh, newer in the last 20 years kind of movement in marriage and family therapy is uh, psychologists have, uh, are increasingly coming to see how important secure attachments are for children and then marriage relationships. So how important it is to have secure attachments so you know that you're safe. And what's interesting to me as we in increasingly come to see those things, that's actually the point of Genesis chapter 2. The point of Genesis chapter 2 is that relationships thrive when there's no shame and you're securely attached. And that's actually the gift. That's why God, when sin comes, it breaks that attachment. And God says, Adam, where are you? God wasn't like, where are you? I can't, like, weren't you around here a minute ago? It's, it's emotional attachment has been broken. Now, where are you? We used to be connected, and now we're not. And that's the same problem with Adam and Eve. You know, it's kind of like our, we got to go to Universal for the first time uh, this week. And uh, Universal is a little bit, so we're, we're kind of used to the Disney kind of princess world. And up until this point, kind of the, the speed of our rides or the merry-go-round and like the Peter Pan ride, that's kind of the amount of undulation we like. And uh, we went to Universal, and maybe, I don't know, maybe this was just bad dadding, bad parenting, because there was a couple roller coasters I really wanted to ride, but couldn't just leave the kids, so I was trying to kind of motivate a couple of the girls, you're tall enough, come on, come on pulling, you're, you're tall enough, let's, let's ride this together. And um, we got on one, and I could kind of see some of the panic in one of their eyes, I thought, this was a terrible idea, why did you do this, just because you wanted to ride this ride? And as we were sitting there, I wanted to say, all right, feel, like you feel this bar, this bar is holding you in, and I promise you are safe. So just enjoy it, because you are safe. I can think, man, we're putting a lot of trust right now in these engineers. I hope they did their math well, because you are safe. And that's the idea of the, of the emotional attachment that God is saying the gift that Christ brings is you can actually have that emotional safety, that stability, where you actually can enjoy the ride because you know you're secure. Or another image, you can think about what it'd be like. Say you go to like... Uh, the Grand Canyon or some kind of way, and you're going to do this incredible zip line through the mountains. You know, the way you experience that is completely different if you are harnessed in or not. 
If you're not harnessed in, you're holding on to that rope with like white knuckle intensity, just trying not to die. But if you're actually harnessed in, you can, you can ride and you can be free because you're securely attached. And that's actually what the gift of Christmas that God is saying when he says, I'm going to send my son and he'll be an everlasting father for you. You can be securely attached so you can zip through life, not afraid anymore. And if you think deep down, that's something we all want. And all the, the, our marriage and families and the relationships we have, at their very best, they are echoes, shadows of that ultimate attachment that we're promised in the gospel. That's what marriage is. Marriage at its very best is an echo of that eternal or that secure attachment. So maybe if in this world you think, man, I'd love to have a marriage that, that was that secure, that somebody had me and I had them, and we know we can zip through life knowing I am not letting you go. I would love to have that, but they let go. And then don't feel like that's something you'll never experience because that relationship is the shadow. The gospel is the reality. And what it promises is the promise from the father and, and the, the husband in Christ that you can be securely attached. And then it also brings the prince of peace. Prince of peace, he brings healing and he brings wholeness. That's what peace is. Peace is not just kind of groovy vibes. Peace is the wholeness, shalom. What it means is in the garden, all when sin came in, there was kind of four areas that were broken in our life. Our relationship with God was broken. Our relationship with ourselves internally, we were broken. And the relationship with one another is now broken. And the relationship with the world is now broken. And what he says, when he comes, the prince of peace comes, the peace he brings is actually to put all those back together again and bring healing. Healing to the relationship with him, healing in your own heart, healing to your relationships with others, and healing to the world. And it's interesting, I never knew this until this week when I was studying this, the reason why he calls prince. You know, we think of prince as all the, you know, the sons of the king. It's kind of interesting, it's saying he's going to be the king, but then he's going to be the prince. Well, which is it? Is he the king or is he the prince? Well, actually in Hebrew... Prince does it. So we think of prince as just sons of the king. Uh, in Hebrew, the word prince means the announced one, the one who's announced. So the prince is, is so like all of David's sons weren't actually princes. Only Solomon was because Solomon was the one that was announced to be the king. So he was the prince. We call it later in England, they call it the crown prince, the one who is in line for the crown. But the prince, he's the announced one. He's the one who's announced to kind of come and bring the healing. And the beautiful thing about the picture is he doesn't just announce that he's going to bring the healing. It's through his announcement, his word, that the healing happens. He's the Prince of Peace. And this is the conditions that he's going to bring when he comes. So how can you know you can trust him? It's because these are the conditions that he's going to give. He's going to give stability and security and healing and wholeness. And then very quickly, you can see at the very end, all right, what are his tasks when, the, when he comes, he's actually going to reign. Notice the, the reigning language. The government will be upon his shoulders. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on his throne of David and over his kingdom. So there's a kingdom. There's a government. It's going to rule. It's going to reign. He's going to do two things. <coughs> These are his um, task. He's going to establish it and uphold it. And then he's going to do it with these two traits. It's going to be with justice and righteousness. So as we're thinking about when he's come, he's actually going to come and he's going to have a, a government. He's going to set up a, a place where he rules and reigns. Do you know what we call that government? 
We actually call it the church. You're, in essence, in part of his government right now. And one of the things he wants with his, the way his government works is not actually a democracy, it's a constitutional monarchy, where he's the king on his throne, and then he calls ministers whose responsibility is to administer his rule and reign in his world. And if you're one of his followers, if you're a Christian this morning, all of you, you have a ministry. And what that ministry is, is a responsibility to administer his reign in this little area that he's put before you. Could be your home, your work, your family, your neighborhood. You administer that reign. And notice there's two aspects of the reign, his kingdom. He does two things. He establishes it and then upholds it. So he builds it and creates it, and then he maintains it. Those are the two tasks. And that's really important, you know, just us in the life of our church. Think, all right, well, where are we in our life? We're in the life of being built, establishing. And at some point on transition, we're in the life of maintaining. But those are always the two tasks, to establish and build and then to maintain. And, you know, some people have personalities where they're a little better at kind of building and starting things and have personalities where they're a little better at maintaining things. But the beauty about this king who comes is he can do both equally well. He can establish and he can maintain and it's actually worth thinking about just in your own life as you think about, all right, what do I need in this next year? What would I like for, you know, one decade is about to end and you're about to enter into a new decade? Are there certain new things in your life that you need to establish? That's going to take a certain amount of work to get habits and behaviors and different things established. And then there are certain things that you do well and you just need to uphold and maintain. But those are the two tasks. You establish and then you uphold, you maintain. And then notice the traits. It comes, and it comes with justice and righteousness. Justice and righteousness. And I think actually going forward for the church at large and for Christians, one of the most important things for us is to learn what does he mean by justice? What does he mean by righteousness? What is God's opinion about what justice is. And that, that combo, justice, righteousness, runs all throughout Isaiah and all throughout the Old Testament. And one of the key ideas is that his justice corresponds with the divine principles that he put in place when he established the world and how he maintains it. So what justice is is corresponding to divine design. It's corresponding to principles. And what righteousness is, is actions and practices that correspond to that divine design. That's what justice and what righteousness is. So you look at these things. This is how his kingdom is going to come. How is he going to establish it? He has a certain way that he's going to build his kingdom. And then he has a certain way that he's going to uphold it and maintain it. So you think about things like one of the things the Old Testament... All, repeats over and over that when you violate the Sabbath, it makes God angry because it's actually an act of injustice. And you think, well, why? What's the big deal? And the reason why is because he's actually designed us. So we need a healthy cycle of work and rest, work and rest. And then when you violate that design or you force others to violate that design for you, it's an act of injustice because this is how he's designed the world to act. So how can you know you can, can trust him? When he comes, he comes and the gift of Christmas is the promise of this person that no matter what season or situation you're in, he's holding out a hand and he says, you can trust me. I will hold you. You can be secure. How can you know that you can trust him 
because of the one who comes. So let's actually take a few minutes, and what I want us to do is just spend a few minutes praying that the Lord will help us, because each of these gifts he offers, we at different times in our life will need different ones. So you might be in a season right now where you really need one and not necessarily the other. So I want to give us some space where we can really reflect on our own life and think, which ones of these things do I need? So Lord, we praise you and we thank you for the gift of your son. We ask that you would help us. Help us not to ignore the reality of the gift, but to receive it and to be thankful for it. We praise you for the qualifications that the king has, that he comes with wisdom and wonder. So I pray now for anyone in this room who they recognize that where they are in life, they need wisdom. They found themselves in situations and experiences that they don't feel um, prepared or adequate to know what they should do or think. So we pray that you would give wisdom that they need. Pray for anyone who's lost a sense of wonder where life has become drab and dark and they don't uh, feel a sense of joy in any area of life. We pray that you would uh, recapture their heart and their eyes with, with wonder. Lord, we praise you that you come and you're the everlasting Father, that you bring stability, that you bring safety, that we can be secure. And I pray for anyone who feels so insecure in their life. I pray that they would uh, not look to their own performances or their own looks or their own uh, people around them to provide the stability and the security they need, but they would trust in your promise and in your strong hand to hold them. And Lord, we pray for anyone who needs the full healing and wholeness that your peace brings. As this is a season and a time we can celebrate experiencing real peace. I pray for anyone who knows that their relationship with you has been broken. So we pray that they will cry out so it can be fixed and they can have peace. And pray for anyone who knows that in their own, their own heart is, is, is broken and they constantly feel under the weight of their own internal critic and criticism. Pray that you would uh, silence that voice and help them to hear the sound of a, a stronger voice. Lord, I pray for anyone who experienced brokenness in relationships. And I, we pray for everyone in our church who are traveling this week. And as so many people will be traveling and, and entering into possibly uh, situations with broken relationships, we ask that you would uh, move in our hearts so that we love you and love one another and give us empathy and compassion. And Lord, we ask that if there's anything in our lives where we know we need to establish new things, that you would help us, give us the power. And Lord, I pray if there's anything in our life we know we need to keep going, keep maintaining. Pray for everyone who, as they come to the end of the year, they just feel tired. Uh, pray that you would encourage them to just keep going. And I thank you for the tremendous gift of justice and righteousness, the tremendous gift of creating the world in such a way that if we live in line with its designs, we can, we can flourish. And so we ask that you help us to flourish and experience all of those things. For your glory and our good, we ask in Christ's holy name. Amen.